I'm Alex Green. Welcome to Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Taken from their debut album, We Sleep Again, that is the music of Dream System 8. The band's David Klotz is my guest today on the program. Let me tell you a little bit about David Klotz and Dream System 8. Our story begins with Fonda. Not Jane Fonda, not Henry Fonda, and not Peter Fonda, but the band Fonda. In the mid-90s, a young David Klotz met Emily Cook, when they both worked at the same film production company. Klotz played guitar, Cook was a singer, and she played keyboards. They added drummer Aaron Ryder and former Mighty Lemon Drop David Newton, and the band Fonda was born. The L.A. band's wistful brand of sepia-flavored indie pop sounded like the beginning of a memory and the fever of nostalgia. They were really good. By the late 1990s, the band had become critical darlings and hometown favorites. They played all over L.A., and their song Crazy Love in 1998 had become somewhat of a summer staple on KROQ. Over the course of their career, Fonda put out four full-length albums, The Invisible Girl from 1999, 2001's The Strange and the Familiar, 2003's Catching Up to the Future, and my personal favorite, 2013's Sell Your Memories. They also did the theme song for the film Spy Kids, a little song you might remember called Spy Kids Save the World. Now, you may have noticed there was a bit of a gap between Fonda's third and fourth album. And when I say a bit of a gap, I mean about a decade or so. Well, there's a good reason for that. David Klotz, since the mid-90s, has been working steadily in a day job where he's the music editor of some pretty high-profile stuff. Sure, he was the music editor on such high-profile motion pictures as Spy Kids and Iron Man, but that doesn't even scratch the surface of what this guy has done. When it comes to television, David Klotz is kind of the king. He's been the music editor of pretty much every show you've ever seen. Some of his credits include Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Entourage, Prison Break, Scream Queens, Game of Thrones, and Stranger Things. The guy is busy. 
Over the course of his career, David Klotz has won numerous Emmys for his music editing work, and he is constantly in high demand. That is the good news. The bad news is Fonda did not stay together. The other bad news is David Klotz married Emily Cook. That's not the bad news. That was good news at the time. The bad news is they also didn't stay together. So David Klotz found himself keeping company with two heartbreaks that were very much intertwined. The breakup of his marriage and the breakup of his band. In 2015, David Klotz, to nurse his heartbreak, did what any musician would do. He started collecting vintage synthesizers. And the names of the things he picked up are uh, pretty space age, but uh, let, me, let me give you a couple. A Roland Jupiter 4, a Korg Monopoly, a Krumar Performer, which sounds like something you might get at Good Vibrations. Oh, I see you're buying the Krumar Performer. Uh, yeah, how is that? Oh, it'll perform. Is how I think that conversation might go. But enough of that. Back to David and his synthesizers. He also bought an Omnichord System 100, a Casio VL1, a Korg Rhythm, and a Lindrum. He got all these things, well, some of them at least, on eBay. But he got himself a pretty good set of gear. So while he was building up his synthesizer collection, David Klotz also thought he'd build back up his heart. And he did what anyone would do who's in that situation. He found himself on Tinder. He was matched with a local woman named Erica Electra. Now, it wasn't a love connection, but it was an artistic connection. And the two got to talking and found they had very similar tastes. Now look, many Tinder dates end with a rash and a lot of regret. This one ended with a new friend and a new band. Completely rejuvenated, David Klotz and Erica Electra totally hit it off and found themselves writing songs together at a mile a minute pace. And suddenly, Dream System 8 were born. And not only that, David Klotz could make good use of his new synthesizer collection because, as luck would have it, Electra and Klotz were both fans of early 80s synthesizer music. As a matter of fact, they both had an unending affinity for bands like The Human League, Heaven 17, and Yaz. And as a result, Dream System 8's We Sleep Again was born, buoyed by songs like Color the Stars, Heather Runs the Marathon, Little Ghost, and Jenny's Ocean Drive. This is a hypnotic and bewitching album that can stand proudly next to Yaz's Upstairs at Eric's or OMD's Architecture and Morality. It's that good. And though the album is inspired by 80s synth classics, it's never derivative, it's completely refreshing, and it's also one of the best albums of the year. Now, David Klotz has been through a lot in the last couple of years. He's weathered a lot of storms, and he's very honest and open about what he's gone through and how he deals with it. But I gotta say, he is truly one of the nicest guys I've ever spoken to. He's calm, he's poised, and uh, he's really, really kind. I really enjoyed talking to him, and before we got things going, I told him how years ago, for the last Fonda record, uh, he wrote us a personal note at Stereo Embers magazine after we ran a review of it, and he thanked us for the review. And not a lot of musicians have done that. It's, believe it or not, it's one of those things. It's a small gesture. I know it doesn't sound like much, but look, that was five years ago, and I've never forgotten it. It was gracious and kind. He didn't need to take that time to do that, but he did. 
The guy was at work on Game of Thrones. He was busy. He's raising his kid. He's dealing with stuff, and he took time out of his day to write me a note. That's the kind of guy he is. Well, you'll see. You'll like him. Enjoy my chat with David Klotz of Dream System 8 right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. I, I kind of had a little bit of a break in writing and recording music. Um, and um, I started in that time, I'd, I'd kind of gotten into collecting some vintage synths and um, wanted to you know, use those to, to actually write and record um, with those. And then, um, and then I uh, met Erica, and she, uh, um, being a, you know, very, uh, she's super prolific, and just uh, from day one, she's like, I have a song, and then a week later, I have another song, and let's do this, and and it kind of, um, her energy kind of inspired me to, to really like, you know, get this project going, and and then we started working together, and um, you know, playing around with all these. Um, you know, old analog 80s keyboards that I had. And um, that's, that's kind of, you know, where, where, where it began. Uh, we, and, you know, we didn't know sort of what the direction was at, at that time. We thought, um, you know, I thought we were going to, I didn't know what it was going to be. We didn't have a band name or a, we didn't even know if we were going to get other, other people to, um, you know, to join in and play with us. It was just kind of a, a creative period of, of writing and recording for, for a few months. And then we started zeroing in on on hey let's just let's just make this all about the 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 beauty of how amazing these synthesizers can sound just on their own without you know dragging in guitars or a live drummer or anything and and um so yeah that's that's where that started why were you taking a break from music um it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't anything on on purpose uh it was just kind of um um, yeah, I, I work as a music editor here in Los Angeles, so I, I, I have um, certain um, periods throughout the year where I'm I'm really busy on the shows that I work on. Um, you know, Stranger Things is one of the shows I work on, Game of Thrones, and when those two are kind of happening, um, I'm sort of not really, I'm kind of not really not focused on songwriting as much. And I think I had just gone through, um, gone through a. a a period of working a lot. Um, and then at the same time I went through a, a personal breakup and I just was feeling like, uh, you know, I didn't, didn't know what was, didn't really have a, any kind of plan of, of music. You know, Fonda had been on hold and kind of broken up for years too. So I didn't really have a, a plan. And, um, and that's when everything just sort of fell together kind of by accident. It's funny because I imagine that when a when an artist is going through a breakup, the first thing you would do is reach for a guitar or your paintbrush or, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm actually the opposite. I, I like like when I'm when I'm depressed or unhappy, like the last thing I want to do is be creative. And I, I always have that conversation um, with other other artists and other songwriters. And I, I like I really I wish I could tap into that side because I feel like. Um, I feel like I have to sort of come through it and come out and then be, um, positive, you know, feel good about myself again. Then I can then I can write about that horrible breakup. Then I guess it's kind of misleading because it's sort of like one of those things where, you know, someone might think that oh, that means that he only writes when he's happy, which which isn't really the case, right? 
No, it's not when I'm. No, it's not when I'm happy. It's it's uh, it's like it's like I can't write when I'm really in the depths of of hell. You know. Right. <laughs> like when I'm really depressed. Um, I just have to. I, I'm like I have to pull myself up a little bit to um. To be uh, creative. I mean, you know, I, I've tried, and and I think I think a lot of what I do in those periods are are just sort of experimenting and. And um, I, I guess, like, when also, you know, I, I, I like writing pop songs, too. So when I'm writing, I'm always sort of aware of, of like, I'm, like, writing something that's going to be appealing that people are going to want to listen to and, and like and, and that sort of thing. And I feel like I have, you have to be in a little bit of a better frame of mind. So it's almost like you, you need the emotional distance to get the artistic immediacy. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. For me. But, and, and, and that's just my, my own personal way of working. Yeah, and is there a kind of I'm just kind of curious, is there a kind of fear that you don't want to become Nick Drake? Like you don't want to sound too depressed? Is that part of it too? Um I don't think so. Like I, like I would love to. I, I like I wish I could I, I <laughs> like I wish I wish I could tap into that and and like draw from it and I think um and I and I and I've tried um and I think I think I sort of have a library of sort of experimental kind of things which which you know i've recorded you know in those those moments um which i'll I'll, i go back and listen to and think like oh that's a really cool um you know melody over a chord progression i I might use that or or try that Um, but i never really i never i never feel like i've accomplished much but i but i think it's more like like i'd mentioned like an an experimental stage like if i'm feeling like low i'll i'll uh, or in that kind of zone i'll just kind of lock myself in my little studio room and 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 play one of my synths and just fool around with it for hours and sort of get lost in in a in like one chord progression that i think sounds amazing and noodle about with all the crazy sounds that i can come out with and but i'd never feel like the desire like i'm trying i'm trying to like you know um structure a, a song and and write lyrics and, you know, just, I'm still, I have to, yeah, I'm not there yet. I think it's interesting that you were taking a break from music and on your break from music, you were buying synthesizers. Yeah, I, I, I was, I will, um, I, I started working on, on stranger things with, um, with the composers, Kyle and Michael. And I met them like a couple years ago now. Um, I, I was brought in, um, you know, as a music editor on the show, and and this is their first time composing. And part of my skill set is I, I work is working with new composers and sort of guiding them through the process of what what we need um, for the TV show to to be to work and and what you know the the technical aspects of the types of files and and you know the the things we we will need it you know to to finish the show basically. And so. Um, you know, when I first met them and, and talking with, with them, like, I, I remember our very first initial Skype call, um, you know, they told me that they only used um, synths and they didn't use any computer plugins or anything like that. And and I was just kind of like, wow, I, I almost kind of thought it was a little, uh, like, I just didn't, I don't know, I thought it was sort of a, like a novelty and like, you know, I didn't really sort of take it seriously. I was like, oh, that's cool, guys. And um, and then when I started hearing their their score, they were delivering, um, you know, to the to editorial, I was just kind of blown away at how 
different it sounded from all the other composers I know who were using, you know, synths and, you know, make or making synth type scores. Um, so I started asking them like, Hey, what did you guys, you know, use for that, for that sound here? And they were telling me these instruments. And so I started keeping an eye out over the next couple of years of like, um, you know, I, I mean, working with them has been an inspiration. I love the, the score they created. Um, and they're really, uh, they're just super fun and energetic, um, people to work with. And, um, I, um, yeah, I started kind of zoning in on, on, you know, through eBay and, and a website called reverb and acquiring, um, a bunch of analog synthesizers. And then, um, you know, with with the thought that I would continue doing what I always did, what I did with Fonda and uh, the other projects, is like write these pop songs. Um, but this time, I was sort of tapping into um, uh, you know the early '80s sound and 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 not so much the sort of guitar-y shoegazer sound. Um, so it was an, it was it was refreshing for me to have that experience working on that show, and then. And then sort of, you know, using that, using what I've learned from there to, to keep going with, um, with my pop music, uh, uh, fantasies. Um, for our listeners who see movies and see in the credits, uh, and TV shows, music editor, uh, so-and-so, um, they probably take that for granted. What exactly does a music editor do for just for the benefit of our listeners who may not know? Yeah, well, it kind of um, it sort of varies from project to project, um, but for the most part, uh, on a show like um, Stranger Things, um, you know, the Kyle and Michael are delivering the score, and then the, you know, and then when it comes to me, you know, they're they're basically you know uh, uh, the schedules are so compressed, so they're they're often writing music for the next episode while while we're trying to finish the first episode, and. Um, you know, I, I get all the music from them, and then um, the picture keeps changing. So where um, you know visual effects keep getting updated, they scenes move around, um, they get new um, new scenes that hadn't been shot yet, and a, a lot of my work comes from from making sure the music still plays in the right place it's supposed to play. Um, and then also at our sound mix, like for on Stranger Things, you know, I'll sit with the Duffer Brothers, the the creators of the show, and and we'll find you know we'll we'll play around with the music and we'll, we'll have it, you know, start and stop in different places. Um, or they'll, or they'll suddenly have an idea of like, Hey, why don't we try that cue from season one here in, in this episode? And so I'll, I'll pull in those files and, and it's kind of a collaborative process. Um, cause basically when, when the composers are done writing and delivering the score, um, it's kind of still not done yet. And sort of a lot happens, you know, down the road after that. And I, I'm usually there to, make sure that you know um the music works for the benefit of the show that it's telling the story that we want it to tell and also you know kyle and michael are also trusting me that i'm going to um you know keep the integrity of, of what they wrote and not completely butcher it which which happens a lot um on television you know a lot of a lot of composers complain that you know when they see the show air i'm like that's not what i delivered what happened um, because people to tear it apart or, you know, you know, some of my other shows, you know, the composers deliver stems to the picture editors and, and, and that's basically, uh, basically 
sort of like a multi-track where you have everything separate, you know, the strings and the drums and the, or, you know, brass and everything is kind of all on different tracks. And some people just can have their way and be like, I just want to play the drums here. And it just doesn't sound anything like what, you know, the composer had intended. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of, I'm sort of part of that process. And uh, I'm, I'm usually the last one standing in the music department with you know as we're as we're finishing the show i'm i'm there and um a lot of what i'm doing too which is really important is um is when things do change or or maybe like when they wrote a score cue and then something changed picture wise you know we 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 alter the cue a little bit to to try and you know help it tell the story better that's you know that's to me like the best part of my job there's no it's like say you know like you know the duffers will, will say like hey that can you know this line is really important but the music is just kind of um you know playing straight through it so we'll find a way i'll find a way to just drop out of it for a second and come back in gracefully and um so yeah there's a lot of a lot of that kind of work well you know it's funny because i think that dream system eight and stranger things have a lot in common and having grown up in the 80s um, I watch Stranger Things, and what I love about it is that it's not ironic. It's um, it's done in a really respectful way, so the '80s doesn't become a kind of like um, you know a prank, uh, you know a setting that's a prank. It's a it's an actual real yeah. you know grounded <laughs> setting. And so with Dream System Eight, I feel the same way. Where I listen to the album and I hear you know, Heaven 17, Human League, the early um, OMD records. It's not, you're not doing right. it ironically. And and I got to say, I really appreciate that. Cool. Yeah, I, I, I do too. And, and, um, and I mean, the, the Human League, that was the first record I bought as a child um, was Keep Feeling Fascination. And so I've, I've I have, uh, there's such a, a special place in my heart for a lot of the music I grew up on. And, um, and I have, yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing kitschy or I'm not, or no, nothing tongue in cheek about, about you know any of the songs or the sounds we're we're working with. Yeah, and I think that you know um, the material on on the album. There's you know it's it's twelve really really strong songs that actually work perfectly together as a cohesive uh, album, which is such a long lost art form. Um, but I love how you guys you know yeah. put this together. I mean, I I was telling someone yesterday that when I in the old days when I would uh, get an album, I would sit down and I would listen to it front to back like I was reading a book because it was like a narrative, and that yeah. seems to be a kind of lost art now. And I wonder, do you think about that in terms of how the internet, you know, music so accessible and it has almost changed the way that we're wired to listen to music. Like, do you listen to albums front to back anymore? Um, I still do. I still do. And I, and I, and even with this album, um, the dream system eight album, when I was writing it and putting it together and sequencing it, I, it was always that, that really mattered to me. It even also mattered. Um, we, we didn't, we, we didn't make vinyl, but you know, the way that it's sequenced, the halfway point would have been the beginning of side two. Um, if we made vinyl records and that, was important to me what that what that track was and and what the um you know what the direction and you were going to start and end end is uh, but I still I still do listen to that and I am well aware that 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 is kind of gone and, and a lot of people I know 
um, a lot of young people I talk to don't really sort of care about um, the the album as as one cohesive um, listening experience, and um, and that's unfortunate, you know. Um, but you know, I'm guilty too. You know, I have Spotify, and you know, I'll hear a song I like, or you know, I hear a song I love by an artist, and then I'll save it to a playlist, and and then you know. It could be a month or two when I'm like, hey, you know, maybe I should check out what that album came from. And <laughs> eventually I do, but it's um, things have changed, unfortunately. They really have. Like I, for example, last summer, my, my favorite song of the summer was um, Kasabian's Bless This Acid House. I mean, I don't think I've heard yeah. a better pop song in like 20 years. It's just fantastic. <laughs> and, you know, had it been 1989, I would have had that tape in my Walkman and I would never have taken it out. Um, but I have still yeah. only heard that song. I, I haven't even heard that album yet, which is insane because that song is so good, yet it, it didn't get me to actually – and I'm, I'm embarrassed to, to actually say this out loud. Uh, I feel terrible because I, I need to get to it. But I think that I have fallen prey to you know, the, the rewiring of my brain and how I consume music. So that's it, a – Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's weird. Uh, I think we're – you know technology too is the way i'm sure the way we read books now like i i i struggle to 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 read an actual book to just pay attention to my my brain you know i I find myself my drifting after reading 15 or so pages i'm like this is this is too much i can't like i gotta my mind wants to do something else right now it's like our our brains have been rewired in, in all sorts of ways and it's um i don't know I'm worried about it. I'm worried about this. <laughs> well, I mean, you are a father. So I wonder, you know, yeah. in terms of – I feel like I'm telling you that like I'm, I'm breaking that news to you. You are a father, <laughs> just in case <laughs> yes. you didn't know. Um, but you have a, have uh, one child, correct? I do, yeah. yeah. And so – And he you... likes to play with vinyl records, which is cool. You know, we, we'll put on an album and we'll listen to it. And, and you know, I, I, ho- I hope that's something that he respects and grows up. Appreciating. <laughs> How old is he? He's eight right now. He's eight, so that, that's grade. an interesting age. I mean, do you so do you think in terms of like limiting screen time? Do you do you try to sort of introduce him to the kind of analog way of doing things, or do you keep that in mind, or how do you do that? Yeah, um, it's 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 battle because he is uh, he is obsessed with with screens, and you know he loves getting his hands on my iPad and, and playing games and. I have to limit the time, and you know, he loves his, his time when he gets to watch a show a day. Um, it's yeah, it's tricky. I, I feel like though, you know, because you know, I work in in the film and TV industry, and and his mother does too. So he is he is growing up, um, you know, getting a lot, you know, learning a lot about movies and and, and the business, and and you know, he knows that I, I work on music for. TV shows and and so I, I feel I don't know it's like it, it's a constant it, it's tricky because I, I I want him to embrace this world that he's growing up in but at the same time I I'm always finding inventive ways to um, uh, get us out of my place and like you know I know he you know I'm gonna pick him up from school today and I know he's just gonna want to ask to use the iPad and I got to hit him with like, let's go to the park and ride a bike first or something like that. Just to 
keep them focused on other things other than technology. It yeah. really is a it's it's a battle. I mean, he's eight, and I'm just I'm terrified at, at like what what's this going to be like when he's a teenager. Yeah, I mean, it, I wonder what we would have been like as teenagers if we had access to what we have access to now. I wouldn't have left the house. I know, I know. But I, I feel like you know, I I grew up with the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Me too. I, I do remember. I, yeah, I remember like when school was out, I just couldn't wait to get home and play pitfall for two hours. You know, that was like I just couldn't wait. I was obsessed with it, and so I I, I kind of I try and make a uh, somewhat you know understand what what he's thinking um but i just think there's there's so much more um and it's 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 different in a way you know i think maybe maybe we got sick of those graphics pretty soon (laughs) yeah i mean we probably did i mean i remember obsessing over that game adventure remember that one yeah, yeah. Oh, I I obsessed over that, and I and I used to. And anyway, I one time I was sick. I think I was in the sixth grade, and I was having fever dreams about the game Adventure. And that was kind of when I stopped playing video games. I went, okay, I think I'm done. I feel like yeah. you know, I think that's it for me. But I I do think that when you decide to walk away from that stuff, it has to be something that you the decision that you make. It has to come from you, not from your parent or or you know the external world. So it's it's tricky because it has to come from inside. Right, yeah, it does, and, and and I give I give my son other I expose him to other things too. Like we'll like we'll, we'll make music together, and you know he likes to draw, and um, you know he likes to be creative. Um, sometimes you know he'll want to use the iPad to make a, a stop motion animated film, and he's with his Legos, and he's in his room doing that with my iPad, and I I think that's extraordinary. I mean I would have killed for something like that in high school. Like to make stop motion animation, just like with the snap of your fingers, you have all the tools right at your fingertips. And incredible. So I think there, I think there are great things about what we have now. I admire your precision as an artist, and I. It's interesting that you teamed up with um, with Erica, and I wonder, did you learn anything from her? Um, and and if so, what did you learn from her? Um, so, you know, every, every project I've kind of worked on before Dream System 8 has been with mainly just like my immediate friends, um, or in, or in the case of Fonda, my, my wife, where I was just basically like, let's start a band. You can be the singer. And she's like, okay. And, <laughs> um, everything was, everything was just very fun and casual and nothing. And, and. I think that that sort of had its challenges as well because um, Emily from Fonda wasn't wasn't a real singer. I mean, she I thought she sang great and appropriate for what we were doing as a band. Um, and and you know other projects I've worked on too, they were just it was more of um, you know your friends hanging out and, and let's make some music. And I feel like when I met Erica, I, it was like it was like I I finally had sort of met someone who who was my match in a way where. I was always the uh, the cheerleader. Like, come on, guys, we gotta let's let's get together. What are we doing Saturday? We gotta let's work on some songs. Let's record. Let's write. And um, and when I met Erica, I was sort of in a place where I was sort of a little more lackadaisical about about my 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 work ethic. And it was like a, a bolt of lightning and a shock when she was like, "What are we doing? When are we doing this? Let's come over." And then, and then. You know, she has a child too, so and, and we both work, so our um, our schedules are were busy. 
so when we were together, she um, was, she's been very. Uh, I mean, we just we, we work hard. I mean, we we'll write a, we'll write two songs in, in a couple hours, or, or get at least get them started. And, and when I think like, okay, I've had enough. She's just like, let's try this keyboard, and let's you know, I I I, I finally like met someone that wants to like work as hard as I do, and that's been um, refreshing. And that's kind of, uh, you know, the best, the most important thing that's been part of our relationship. And as far as like what it's done to, um, what I've learned from that, um, I don't know. I think I just learned that uh, it's, it, it sort of made me open up my mind to um, wanting to be open to collaborating more with other people um, because in Fonda and other projects I've worked on I've always sort of been the um, um, like the Billy Corgan of the band where like it's this is my project I have my songs we're gonna do this is all you know this is my dream my vision and with Erica she'll she has her own songs and then I'll you know we'll work on each other's songs in a way and and I've never I've never had a um, I've never had a positive experience of doing that in the past. Like I've always felt like, well, that's really not what I wanted to do. It's not really like when someone will, you know, make a suggestion on changing the course of my songs, I'll kind of like be take a little bit of offense to that. I'm like, no, I think I like what I was doing. And I went into this with Erica with that kind of same attitude, but when, but I tried and I was open to it and I just said, let's see where this goes. And then the end result, I was, I was surprised and and you know maybe it's because Erica and I appreciate the same um, aesthetics of, of, of pop music and songwriting but it you know really worked out and I'm glad that that I you know was open to going down that road of collaborating as songwriters you guys each did I think you know there's 12 songs but you each did five on your own um, right and her material um, is a lot different than yours lyrically um, how would you compare the two? Because I love how you sequence the record. I love how, um, like my favorite song on the whole album is Heather Runs the Marathon, and then I love Jenny's Ocean yeah. Drive, and I love Losing All of You. But how? But lyrically, you guys are, are totally different. We are, yeah. We are really different. And, um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting, because uh, I, when, I, when I read her lyrics, I... I I like I wouldn't write the kind of lyrics she writes, um, and so, you know when I first heard some of them, I, I really thought they were kind of you know very like straight to the point, on the nose, emotional, um, and I don't think I'm capable of of, of writing anything like that. Um, and when I hear you know when I hear her lyrics in, in the context of her of the songs she writes, I think they're effective and they work and they really like they kind of push the right emotional buttons um you know like when she's like in the song dedication and she uses you know talks things about her her daddy and stuff and it's like i couldn't write that um but i'm glad that she could and and she could just go right go right for it and say the things she's feeling almost like wearing your heart on your sleeve um whereas i feel like lyrically i'm 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 um kind of hiding a little bit in a way. <laughs> yeah, because she she's very poetically direct. 
Yes, direct is the word I was looking for. And you, um, and you feel like you're hiding. So do you think, why do you think that is? And, and what do you think you're hiding from? Because I mean, your art is so out there and it's so, I think Saul Bellow once described somebody as being an open wound of a, of a man. And I love that in the sense that, you know, like, like for example, and I promise I'll get to the question, but I, I listened to Patty Griffin's uh, living with ghosts. And I think that is the most naked, vulnerable, open wound of a record I've ever heard where it's just like, you know, tap a vein and, and let people watch what comes out. Um, when you write and, and you say you're hiding, um, but is that your own way of tapping a vein? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, I think so. Cause I, I, I almost like to write, I, I have a clear idea in my head of what I'm, what I'm writing about and, and what the songs are about and, and genu- gen- genuinely they're uh, about, mostly about heartbreak. I feel like I've, I've had a fair share of that in my life. And a lot of my songs are, are love and breakup songs. Um, and I'm just trying to find ways of, of communicating ideas about, about that. And it's more of, for me, it's about, you know, specific imagery and, and feelings. And, and I, I like the idea that someone could also, um, like listen to one of my tracks and maybe pull another meaning from it that's personal to them where where it's like my the songs aren't you know 100% you know they you know someone could find someone could draw something from it here here a line that would be that would mean something to them and and maybe the song means something entirely different to someone else and and I feel like and that, and that could also like I feel like I do that because when I like growing up in the '90s and listening to a lot of um, bands that I loved, like My Bloody Valentine and stuff, I, like I had no idea what they were singing about. Like uh, you, the lyrics are so buried under, like layers of guitars and things, and and maybe if you listen hard enough, you could, or or go online, you can find the lyrics. But I kind of never did. I just would hear a little bit of a line here, and then suddenly the song meant something personal to me. Um, you know, I'd hear just a, a few words here and there, and I, some, and and I just loved the song so much. Whatever they were singing about, and whatever I understood from it, was what I formed in my in my head about that. And maybe that's why I, I, I kind of write lyrically the way I do, where there are, you know, there's not a clear narrative, I guess, in my lyrics. One of the criticisms that has been levied against bands like human league or omd was that there was a lack of heart which i always disagreed with um but because they were using machines that they were they were sort of like you know the the criticism was well you guys are are robotic in in you have robotic hearts as well which i think is ridiculous i mean like you know like for, for omd you know like the song joan of arc uh is one of the most moving songs i've ever heard um and so I, I always, I always was sort of not thinking that was a fair thing to say. Yeah, I think, I think because they, because uh, I think a lot of the original um, uh, synth bands who who sort of created the genre, like OMD, I mean, they're they're one of the one of the originators. Um, I think they they did get hit hard with uh, a lot, just it was a new sound, um, and and yeah, I think there was a, a prejudice against their their sound and, and and they got levied with that that cold 
label from the start. I mean, everything, you know, from craft work on, it was, you know, nothing, you know, keyboard, you know, keyboards got a bad rap for many years because of that. Yeah, I mean, I I understood it with Kraftwerk um, because I sort of, yeah. I mean, I sort of like you know I, I am the operator of my pocket calculator, and I thought, okay, fair enough. I, I, I <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to put that on a mixtape for a girl, um, but no. you know, but I would put Joan of Arc, or I would put Anola Gay, or I would put something from Human League, or or Heaven Seventeen, or or, or even Duran Duran, and in many ways, like Save a yeah. Prayer is like such a beautiful, gorgeous song. But anyway, um, it's interesting right. to to hear you talk about that because i really i i i have always heard so much heart in your music those, those fonda records used to really make me cry they were so beautiful oh cool thank you i appreciate that so um anyway, yeah. i mean i mean <laughs> i mean so i think there is a tremendous heart uh to the music that you're writing and also i think that that even though you might be hiding there is something very direct in what you do as well oh good Oh, that's good to hear. <laughs> I never know. I try. I, I, I do want, I, I do try and, you know, connect emotionally to a listener with what I'm doing. Well, Hopefully it works. It does work. And I, I always thought, you know, to me, Fonda always sounded like it sounded the way a memory looks. That's how I used to think of Fonda. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, I like that. And that's kind of why I meant sepia pop, because it just, it just to me, it's like, it's like faded snapshots. Right, exactly. And that's, um, and that's, I, 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 that's a very good uh, way of looking at it, because I do feel like that's kind of how I'm constructing these images in, in, in the lyrics, especially for fun, but especially like sell your memories. Like um, a lot yeah. of that was, could, would fall into that sepia pop. Um, label easily i appreciate that um that's my my new station on pandora now is sepia pop (laughs) (laughs) i want to start it um i want to talk about what you were talking you were saying that there was a lot of heartache in your life and it's funny because as we get older and and you and i are around the same age i think i'm a little bit older than you um and it's sort of like it reminds me of that that camera obscura song where she says relationships were something i used to do do you ever feel like enough with them already like i need to take a break from my heart needs a rest um yeah i mean i'm kind of sort of going through that right now um figuring out like you know maybe this love thing isn't for me and um which is good and on the songwriting front because i have a whole host of uh of song, song ideas <laughs> and lyrics based on this new direction in life, but um, but yeah, I um, yeah, I feel also like I, just me particularly, I I, I I take it hard, and I, I I have a hard time moving on from relationships, and and um, and maybe that's why I, I I write songs, and like I feel you know that's I, I'm in I'm in the perfect um, medium to sort of comment on 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 my uh, my heartbreak you know there's so many really important things going on in the world and just you know what's happening in this country and the leadership and and you know here I am just writing about you know my heart being broken for the fourth time <laughs> but, <laughs> but 
good. That's what I do. Hey, I mean, that's what we do. We're, we're people. And I think, I mean, love is a, is the most important thing, right? Cause it's, it's, it's the reason why we get up in the morning, whether it's the hope for it or the realization of it. Um, it's great. Yeah. You know, it's fuel. Yeah. It is. It is. And, um, yeah. And, you know, maybe things will change and I'll, I'll write something different, but, um, it's kind of like the, you know, I feel like I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I, my mission is to write some sort of transcendent, transcendental breakup song. I'm still working on perfecting that formula. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I remember when Chris Isaac did his record and he wrote every song for the girl that had just broken his heart. And, it's yeah. a really like amazing collection of songs, but, but I remember thinking like, so is that it? 12 songs and you're good? Or will there be 144 <laughs> more? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You, you can't. Yeah, I've been listening to, uh, to Beck's album. One, which one was it? It was like all breakup songs. Recently. Oh. Sea Change. Sea Change, yeah. Yeah. Change. yeah. Yeah. Really, really great record. Yeah, and it's funny because, like, as an artist, you know, you never really can put a button on heartbreak. You can't go, well, that's the consummate breakup song. I'm good. Now I'll move on and talk about the Middle East. Right. No. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't work that way. Um, you are one thing I, I, I like about you is that you're busy and you uh, you've stayed busy. There's there's not a lot of lapses in your in your uh, CV. I was talking to uh, Ben Vaughn a couple weeks ago who, who does a similar thing uh, that you do. Um, just, he does scores, but um, do you know Ben? No, I don't. I mean, I know who he is, but not, not, a, not personally. Yeah. And he was talking about how he was so busy that he had to walk away. He was sort of like, I, I, I just need a break and I want to work on my own songs, my own stuff. Um, You've right. stayed. You've been yeah. so busy. Have you ever felt like you needed a break from that, or have you you've just been grateful to be gainfully employed as a musician? Yeah, I feel lucky that the job that I do as a music editor. Um, you know, I'm I, I'm hired on a per show basis, so you know things get really busy on the show, and then we have little hiatuses, and I feel like those ups and downs give me the opportunity to, um, like for instance, now I'm I'm just started a, a break for a month and. And um, I'm just getting my little studio kind of hooked up and running to start writing with Erica again next week. And um, I feel glad. I, I just, it's, it's a good setup for me because, you know, come May, June, I'll be back on um, a series of shows that I'll probably run for the rest of the year. And I think being as busy as I am and also being a busy parent as well, too, you really find you really carve out um time and and hours and, and you're really efficient with getting things done I, I think being busier makes me work better and i get more done if i'm if i'm stressed out i'm like how am i going to do all this um whereas if i didn't have a didn't have a lot of work i probably would procrastinate more because i'm really good at that too <laughs> Talk about your relationship with Minty Fresh because 
uh, Minty Fresh put out some of my favorite records. They put out the Cardigans and uh, the Jim Ruiz records and uh, and yeah. others. And you great, great records, great what a body of work. Minty Fresh has. I love them because you know what I love of Minty Fresh is that Omita they were, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they yeah. what was cool about them is that if you if I was at Amoeba and I saw an album that was on Minty Fresh, I would just buy it because I felt like I was safe. Like I felt like they weren't going to mislead me. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah, it was like Minty Fresh and 4AD. There was a time where there were all all those so many labels that you just knew like whatever whatever they um would put out was was great. And um you know, I, I met uh, Anthony Musiala from Minty Fresh many, many years ago, probably like kind of like 20 years ago, like back when, you know, he was putting out Papa's Fritas and um, those records, and which I loved. And, um, you know, at the time, we he had come out, he would come out to L.A. to pitch his, his label to film and TV stuff. And, and then we met when I was working for a film company. And, um, and at the time, I had just started Fonda, and he was very helpful in sort of suggesting um, uh, suggesting things you know for me to you know like like who to who to call for radio promotion and who to call for mastering and and he was just a wealth of information and we kind of you know connected as, as friends over the years and um, and I never thought you know Fonda would ever be a, a minty fresh artist I just never imagined it would and then you know when we when Emily and I got back together to put out our Better Days EP, I think in 2010 or 11, I forget when, um, we were putting it together, and Anthony called and said, why don't, we, why don't we put it out on Minty Fresh and make some vinyl? And I was like, all right, let's, that sounds fantastic. And um, since then, every time I've, I've called to say I have a, a new project and I'm doing this or, or that, he's been very supportive and... and um, and I like that, and, I, and you know, he's he's a he's a great guy, and and I enjoy, um, you know, he's also just sort of good to just call and have someone to talk to and complain about stuff, you know, <laughs> about what's with, you know, like, you know, how do we get people to you know buy the record or this and that, and you know, he's he's um, he's a good therapist for bands. I think that's why he's a successful. Uh, uh, successful at running a label. <laughs> well, I'm I'm just glad that Minty Fresh is still around. I know. It's, yeah, it's yeah, it's sad. The the record industry is um, yeah, it's just not what it used to be. No, it's not. It's not. Now, what happens yeah. with with Dream System Eight? So your your the record just came out, and what is the plan? I know you're going to write some more with Erica. Do you think of this as a an ongoing thing that you'd like to put ten records out as Dream System Eight? I, I'd yeah, it's hard to, to know for sure, but I feel like um, we have a lot we have a lot of ideas, Eric and I, and I together, and and I see a, I see a lot to, for us to do right now, and um, you know I was really into like the two instrumental tracks that we put on the album. I think there's sort of more kind of to go down that road too, um, like um, and you know Eric is just a wealth of like I can't keep up with her songwriting. You know she's she'll she'll text me a, a song idea she'll have and I'll listen to it and think like that's great let's do something with that <laughs> um, so I, I really look forward to working more and, and seeing um, um, what what we're going to do next I, I do feel like you know when, when we recorded this album 
all of the synths we acquired, you know, we had just, I had just gotten them and we started recording with them. And then, and now like a year later, I'm, I'm actually starting to figure out the potential that these things have. And, and, you know, I, I'm still figuring out how to, how to use these things. And, um, so I feel like there's like so much to be mined from what I've discovered only in, even in the last three or four months. Um, you know, for instance, you know, I finally figured out how to get a lot of these machines to kind of communicate with each other, which is extraordinary because there's just this, this crazy energy when you have like, the, you know, I have a early 80s Lind drum machine that's powering the arpeggiator clock in, you know, two other synths. And it's just, it's really amazing that, that you know, this is like pre-MIDI where these, where these, can, where these keyboards can, can you know, talk to each other and trigger each other. And that I feel like, I feel like we're going to, our songwriting is going to be based off of like that kind of technology, like how, how, how they would have, cause a, a lot of the way we were using these since now, but a lot of the way we were recording was very modern. You were just like, we're using a click from Pro Tools to drive the synths. And, and I really want to kind of almost, you know, the second time around, I want to pull everything away from the computer a little bit more now and and have everything kind of um, you know use the clocks from the drum machines and not the computers and and really you know really experiment with like a, the way that Human League would have would have done it in the studio because they didn't have computers and um, so I, I'm gonna try and and do that a little bit more. That's kind of where our next project is. And we're also going going to do uh, perform. That's also on the to do list. Um, I talked to Anthony from Minty Fresh about us putting together um, an online live show, um, just like two or three songs that we'll, you know, perform uh, on the internet, in, you know, in, in a month or so, just to see, just to sort of get uh, get our feet wet on on an actual real live show, where because we we have a lot to figure out and how we're going to transfer our our the sound of this record to a to the stage without having to, you know, bring 11, 12 keyboards. With <laughs> yeah. Because I've seen Tom, Thomas Dolby, um, you know, his setup is, uh, it's ridiculous. And so I, I mean, it's, it's yeah. awesome. It's awesome, but I wouldn't want to be as roadie. Um, but, Oh my God, no. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I wonder like for you, I was going to ask you about that because playing live would be a real challenge because you don't want to bring these 11 machines on <laughs> the stage with you. I know we don't. We don't, but at the same time, I also don't want, I don't want to be the band that's playing with a laptop and, and backing tracks too. It's right. Just, for me, take that's, that's because what we're doing is we're, we have the capabilities of having a, a real live show with, um, you know, with the drum machines powering the keyboards and everything. It's just, it, it would just be a shame to, 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 to hit the space bar and, and you hear everything. So I, I definitely don't want to do that. I think that's why it's taking us a long time because I got to figure out a way where we could maybe consolidate. Um, you know, if we use different keyboards for a different song, maybe there's a way we can consolidate to make make this one sound, you know, the, the sound on the Juno 60, we can make that come out of the Jupiter 8 too and just use that. But then also having said that, you know, a Roland Jupiter 8 is insanely expensive and heavy and, you know, I don't want to risk dragging it around. And if it breaks, it's a fortune to fix too. So there's all those things to consider. Yeah, it's not likely you guys are going to be, you know, getting in a van and driving through Texas with this either. It would mostly be like local gigs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
um, one-offs here and there where yeah. we can have total control. <laughs> yeah, and I think the the live the live thing from you know from your studio or from something like that is a really great first idea. I think it's terrific. Yeah, I think so too. And 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 that sort of yeah, it'll be fun. It, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Now, actually, that's what I what I've been messing around with in the last couple of days is, is figuring out the logistics of that, and I'm looking forward to. Doing that. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a real challenge. Um, and I was going to ask you, just for my own sake, um, is is Fonda something you would ever revisit, or is that in the past? Um, you know, it's hard to say. I think it's. I think. I think we. I don't know. I, I have to talk to everyone I that I played with in Fonda. Um, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Emily, who my ex-wife, who was in Fonda with me. You know, we have a really good relationship, and I think if um, if she was into it, I, we we would you know work on something again together, um, which is totally possible. I mean, we we actually recorded an album in 2013, which never got released, and I've been just occasionally dropping tracks on Facebook just to get them out there. Just you know, I don't know, because I, I feel like if we did get back together, we would probably even start start something totally new and fresh um but yeah i i I would be open to that cool i think emily would be too oh you 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 guys are a great band um it's uh dude i i love the dream system 8 record i mean it really appeals to this 80s guy um because you you did it all the right in all the right ways like it's just it just feels so respectful and it feels like it can hold its place uh among the the records that i grew up listening to in in a really strong positive way Ah, cool. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. Oh, yeah, man. And and dude, thank you for uh thanks for writing that note a couple of you. That that meant a lot to me. I appreciate you doing that. Yeah, and the the review meant a lot to me. So I, I appreciate appreciate that as well. Oh, that's cool. Well, uh enjoy yeah. playing in the park with your kid and uh congratulations on the record. Will do. Yeah, thanks again, Alex. Thanks for having me on your show. Hey, thanks, buddy. So there you go. Just, uh, you know, a regular conversation between a guy who's won a lot of Emmys and uh, a guy who's wearing the same uh, clothes he wore in high school. That's just two guys chatting, normal stuff. Uh, What a nice guy. I really enjoyed that conversation. Dream System 8 is the name of the band. Why were we talking about Minty Fresh? Well, because uh, Dream System 8's album is out on Minty Fresh Records. That's why we were chatting about that label. Now, I want to tell you guys something. I really appreciate the fact that you listen to this program. It means the world to me. And uh, I got to say, we've uh, we've been up and running now for a few months, and uh, the show is taking off, and I have you to thank for it. And if I could ask you for one more favor, this is the last one. I promise. No more favors after this. If you can go to iTunes and subscribe to Stereo Embers, the podcast, that would be fantastic. If you want to leave a nice comment, I'm not going to stop you. Also, if you want to subscribe to Bombshell Radio, that uh, that would sweeten the deal, as we say. We got news today here at the program that we booked a uh, pretty exciting guest. I can't reveal who it is yet because uh, I'm afraid at the last second they may back out, and I don't want to get you all excited. But I will say this. He plays guitar, and he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Hint, hint. That narrows it down to what? A thousand people? Probably more than that. Anyway, sorry for the tease. But I'm excited, and I wanted to give you a little bit. 
Uh, all right. Listen, thank you as always for listening to the show. I will be back next week, same time, same place. Looking forward to seeing you right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. <laughs>